Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for this week's edition of the Sabbath School Commentary. I'm glad that I get the opportunity to share some insights and some thoughts from this week's lesson so that we could all prepare to get together and study the lesson this coming Sabbath. As you guys know, this quarter's lesson study series is on the book of Hebrews, and this is lesson 10 of this quarter. It's entitled, Jesus Opens the Way Through the Veil. Sunday's lesson is entitled, Jesus Before the Father, and the lesson asks us to read Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24. So that's where we're going to begin this commentary, this morning. It's this morning for me right now. Who knows when you're listening? But Hebrews 9, 24, it says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. The lesson asks us to consider what the purpose of Jesus's ascension to heaven was. And the Bible's very clear. It was to appear in the presence of God for us, for the human race. And so there's a lot that could be considered and understood about this. The lesson makes some really great points. And I'm just going to make a point that the lesson doesn't bring out, but that I find pretty awesome and pretty amazing. And now, I'm from the United States of America, and the U.S. governmental system is what we call a constitutional republic. So there is, is a foundational law that basically provides a legal framework for all, for what is and what is not good behavior in the United States. And so there's a con- that's the constitution, that's the highest law of the land, and we have uh, then a legislature that makes laws that have to be consistent with other laws that have to be consistent with basic template for all law, which is the Constitution. Those legislators are, the legislators in that legislature are elected by the people and serve as representatives of the people. So in a, in a system like the United States, a constitutional republic, you have representatives of the public who are elected by the public to represent them, to make laws uh, that govern the society as a whole. Then you also have a, judiciar- a, j- a judicial branch, which is the court system, which interprets laws. And so they decide how the law is applied and they serve as a check, a balance for the legislature. And then you have the executive branch, which is the basically the branch of the presidency and who executes the laws, who enforces the laws of the nation. And that's why the president of the United States is called the commander in chief. Anyways, so I'm saying this to you, not because you care about the system of government of the United States, but just to simply make the point that the U.S., system, the U.S. governmental system is based on the idea that people are not to be ruled by their leaders, but they're to be represented by their leaders. There are other systems of government in the world that don't operate on this premise that people should not be ruled, they should rather be represented. That's a more just and fair and righteous system of government. Those systems do not have what we call citizens that compose or comprise the nations that they inhabit. Those are are rather subjects of a ruling class that has, for whatever reason, assigned it, for whatever reason it believes, has the right to, to rule over those people. So you have either subjects in a kind of rulership based 
system of government or you have citizens that operate under a representative form of government. Here, the Bible teaches that Jesus, he did not enter into holy places that were copies of heavenly holy places that were made by human beings, but he, at his ascension, he entered into heaven itself. And the implication is into the heavenly sanctuary that God erected, not man. And, um, and he's there in the sanctuary to, to be in God's presence on behalf of humanity. So we're not there ourselves in person before the throne of God, but Jesus is there representing us on our behalf. And so he advocates for us in God's presence and he represents us in God's presence. Now I find this fascinating that the creator God of the universe chooses to become a, a human being and to atone for the mistakes of the human race. First, first he condescends to become a human being and then he, through his righteous life, he satisfies the requirements of existence for the human race, and then he dies on behalf of the human race to atone for the sins of the human race. And then he goes, he ascends up to heaven to represent that human race and to stand up in God's presence for the sake of that race of people. So fallen sinful humans have access to God. So even though they themselves are not in God's presence, their representative is Jesus, the second Adam, Jesus, the representative head of the human race, who is God, is, you know, and who became a human being and manifested himself in the likeness of sinful flesh. He is there in our behalf, in our stead. And so we have access to God through Jesus, the man from Nazareth, who was and is God. This tells us something about the government of God, that God, and God, really, ultimately, that the sinless, infinite, eternal God of creation is the kind of person and runs the kind of government where when his creatures fall into sin and into rebellion and into death and into despair, he himself chooses to come and identify with them to become one of them, which is, that's an infinite condescension. And then he chooses to, on their behalf, meet the, claim, meet the claims of God's law, which is the terms of their existence, right? He fulfills, they would, you'd say that he fulfills the terms of the old covenant and then atones for the sins of the human race and takes their sins upon himself and pays the price for their redemption. He pays the penalty price for their redemption and then now intercedes on our behalf. This tells us about God, and it tells us about God's government. So the ruler of the universe, the infinite God of the universe, the God of creation, the one who designed and engineered the universe, he, he becomes a part of sinful creation and the advocate for his fallen creation in the Father's presence. I just think that's stunning and awesome and tells us a lot about the government of God. It's, it implies to us the kind of governor God is and the kind of government he runs. People fall, people sin, they deserve destruction and they deserve the consequences of their actions, but God doesn't leave them in the circumstance that they've created for themselves. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He chooses to make this monumental choice 
to become a human person and to atone for the human race and then to intercede on our behalf and stand before God for us. That's something to, to praise God for, that's for sure. Okay, so moving on to Monday's lesson, which was entitled God's Invitation. We're going to read together Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. That's our passage of focus for Monday's lesson. It's, the, once again, the uh, lesson is entitled God's Invitation. And we're going to read together Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. So the Bible says, you have not come to the mountain. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that's burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Wow. So Hebrews chapter 12 is just simply mentioning that we who come to the mountain of God, we believers in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, we don't come to a, uh, the, the same literal mountain that the delivered Israelites came to. And then he refers to the experience of the Israelites when they heard God speaking from the top of Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, and they heard the trumpet blast, and they all got really scared, even Moses himself. He makes the point that Hebrews 12 is just simply saying that's not the experience that we're having necessarily. We're not literally coming to that literal mountain at this point in time and hearing God's voice, but we are coming to the mountain of God, the city of God through the person of Jesus. That's the message there of Hebrews 12. But the lesson points out that the Israelite people were terrified in the presence of God because God is beyond the physical reality that they're encompassed in or ensconced in, and he is infinitely pure and infinitely righteous, and they're fallen, sinful people who, and they just couldn't bear the glory of God. They couldn't bear the manifestation of God's presence. They just couldn't bear to listen to his voice. And they, they actually believed that, like the, the account of Exodus 20 shows this, and also Deuteronomy recounts this again in chapters four and five, like the people, they literally believed that they were going to die if they continued to hear God's voice. And they were terrified. And so Hebrews 12 kind of points this out saying like, these Israelites were horrified. Even Moses himself said, man, I'm beside myself with terror and fear. And so what the people did in the Old Testament account of hearing God's voice is they said to Moses that they wanted Moses to intercede for them, to go to God and to speak with God, and then to bring whatever information God wanted them to know back to them. And so that's what Moses did. And now it's not unexpected that people who hear God's voice would be afraid. Like that's not something that, that would surprise you. We sometimes like to think that we would want to be around God, like in his actual presence. But whenever you see a prophet or an ancient of old times in the presence of God, it's a pretty traumatic experience. I remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says when he sees a vision of God, he says, woe is me. I am an unclean man and I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. And so he's saying, my mouth is filthy and disgusting. Yet at the same time, he's a prophet who speaks on God's behalf. So a person who God thinks 
should be chosen to speak on his behalf, as decent of a person as that man is, when he sees God himself, he says, my mouth is filthy, my mouth is polluted, my mouth is vile and perverse, and it's the same with all of Israel. That's what he feels when he sees God. And so he's not wrapped with a feeling of joy and ecstasy when he sees the presence of God, because God is holy and righteous to an infinite degree, and seeing that light, seeing that beauty, seeing that magnificence, it alerted Isaiah to to his own unrighteous state. So the light of God exposed the darkness of Isaiah. In, In Daniel's experience, when he sees God, the Bible says that reporting, he basically getting prophecies from God, he reports that all of his comeliness turned within him into corruption. So everything that he thought was good in himself, when he came into contact with God directly, he thought, he, he saw it as putrid and foul and filthy. And this was the feeling that he got when he was around God. And it's not God making him feel this way. It's just God is what God is. God is who God is. And we are who we are. And we are what we are. And there's a certain resulting effect from our interactions gods and humanities, and it doesn't feel good for humanity. And so here you have the Israelite people who are just horrified at what they're having to hear. And this is just interesting because from the standpoint of a modern Seventh-day Adventist Christian, with all of the revelations that we've received over the ages, and all of the knowledge that we have that God is good in the truest and most real sense, like he's good, God is good, and God loves his creatures, and God is unselfish to the degree that he would save us through the gospel. It's just, it's interesting to see a group of people that are horrified by the presence of God when God is the best person in the universe and the person who you have the least to fear from in the universe as far as it concerns the character of a person or the intentions of a person. God is the the best intended person in the universe. He's the most, he's the author of love. He's the author of life. He's the author of truth. He is, he is those things. And now here are these people that are afraid of him. And they're afraid of him not because of who he is, but they're really ultimately afraid of him because of who they are. And this is this is what they're experiencing here. Now, so Moses becomes their intercessor, and he is a foreshadowing of Jesus, who he serves as their priest, as their mediator, the one who speaks for to them for God, and who represents them before the presence of God. Now, Moses, though, something that came to my mind when I was considering this day's lesson is that Moses was on a natural level, no different than the rest of the Israelite people. So why is it that he was willing to interact with God on a personal level, but the Israelites, the rest of the Israelites were not? Well, one scribe interjects into the Bible this statement that Moses was the meekest man on planet earth. And Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount that the meek would inherit the earth and obviously have interactions with God. And the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man on the earth. Now, meekness is the absence of self-justification. It's the disposition that, that doesn't try to justify itself. So the absence of meekness is self-justification. And so what I think is that you had in Moses a person wasn't attempting before God or before anyone to justify himself. You see this all throughout his life when his leadership position is challenged by Dathan, Korah, and Abiram. Like he doesn't try to defend his position. He's not jealous for his position. He doesn't try to justify his call or justify himself. He just 
lets God decide. He just leaves everything to God. He's just a guy who, at the end of the day, entrusts himself to God because he's not trying to justify himself. And he allows God to be God and to provide for him what he needs, the forgiveness of sins and the mercy that he needs to be just before a holy God as a sinful person. But the, the Israelite people must not have been meek in that way, where standing before a holy God is terrifying. It's, it's overwhelming because you, there's no way to justify yourself. And you're horrified at the reality of what you are. And you're not trusting yourself fully to the God who's revealing himself to you. And you don't realize that your justification, your cleansing will come from that God. And so here is, is Moses and perfectly comfortable to interact with God on a personal level. But he's just as much a sinner. When I say that on an essential level, like on a natural level, he, his nature is just as disposed to sin as theirs, and he's just as guilty before God as they are, but he's willing to trust himself to God because he's meek, and he's not trying to justify himself before God or before anybody else. He's humble enough to just give himself to God as he is and trust God and just fully, truly, genuinely trust in who God is and what God can do for him. Tuesday's lesson is entitled, The Need for a Veil, and it points our attention to Leviticus 16, 1 and 2, and Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. And in Leviticus 16, 1 and 2, the Bible just simply, God is just saying here in the Bible to Aaron that he's not to go into the most holy place at any time that he wants to. And there's a veil between the holy place in the old Hebrew sanctuary and the most holy place. And there was, as the lesson brings out and the Bible brings out, there was a veil around the whole sanctuary courtyard itself, and then a veil around the sanctuary itself, and then a veil dividing the two different compartments in the sanctuary. And the lesson says that veils, they are both, they both serve as an entrance and a boundary. And the lesson's title, as we mentioned, is the need for a veil. It's to provide an entryway into a new space, but also it's a boundary, forbidding you to go into that space at any old time. And Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, is just that story of the sons of Aaron who went into the temple and they mixed common fire with the fire that God had lit himself and how they died because of that. The consequence was death because the holy God was was disrespected and disregarded in multiple ways by the sons of Aaron, and they were high priests. And so the consequence for their action was that was they lost their lives. So the, the, the lesson just, and, and I don't want to spend much time talking about this because I just want to get to the next day and make talk a little bit about Wednesday's lesson, but it, it was really interesting to me to visualize the various veils in the temple and how they, yeah, both protected people from getting into a position that was not going to be safe or good for them, but then at the same time, they provided an entryway into a space, and then at various points in time, there was uh, authorization to be in those places. And, and through this all, God is teaching the Israelite people about the gospel, the good news of his grace and his, his goodness, but also at the same time, the bad news about the condition that they're in by nature and how that the condition that human beings are in limits them and, and, and requires that they limits them from being in the presence of God and requires that they be kept out of the presence of God. And that isn't an unjust thing. It's because the condition of people being what it is, it's not going to go well for them in the presence of God. And uh, so 
Jumping on over to Wednesday's lesson, which is entitled The New and Living Way Through the Veil, really interesting element is dropped into the the lessons kind of series of teaching or sequence of teaching. The flow of the teaching of, of this lesson it goes to a really interesting place here. So just for quick review, just mention kind of the thought progression of the lesson. So Sunday's lesson, Jesus Before the Father. That's the title of the lesson, Jesus Before the Father, that he is there for us as our representative before the Father. Monday's lesson, that's called God's Invitation, and it discusses how the Israelites were terrified and afraid, and they didn't want to be in God's presence themselves. They wanted someone else to go there because God was terrifying. He was horrifying to them, but yet at the same time, we, we don't have to be horrified because Jesus is there for us, and he is the righteous one who has overcome on our behalf. He is our substitute, our representative, our advocate, and our priest, and the representative head of our race. If he's standing there, we're standing there. So he's obtained a victory on our behalf. And so we, unlike the Israelites of old, don't need to be terrified and afraid of being in God's presence because Jesus is there for us. And if we trust, truly trust in the character and the goodness of God and the plan of redemption and salvation, we don't have to fear before the mountain of God the way that the Israelites did. And then the lesson talks about in Tuesday, the need for a veil, and that's because we're sinful. There, there were measures of separation between God and his people called veils in the Hebrew sanctuary, and it was to, to keep people away from circumstances that would not be good for them. They could not be in the presence of God because of their sinfulness, their natural profanity. And, uh, but there was this priestly system in that sanctuary system that taught them about access to God. And ultimately, this is what Jesus accomplishes through the gospel. And now he's there in God's presence for us, for you, for me. Now, Wednesday's lesson is the last part of the lesson that I'm going to spend any time talking about, and I'll leave the rest with you guys for Sabbath. And I'm sure you're going to have lots more to discuss than the, this brief commentary. But it, it asks us to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, and asks the question, what invitation do we have in this passage? Okay, I just want to read the passage of Scripture with you guys and then just make one or two little points and wrap this commentary up for this week. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 20. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to, sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful." Wow, this is really beautiful on, on the part of the lesson and the way that it's connected, stitched together, these various passages from the book of Hebrews. We can completely quit trying to justify ourselves before God because that we have a new and living way through that, that enters into the veil the body of, through the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word that became flesh, the expressed thoughts of God in a physical human body. So, he becomes the veil 
that was represented by those various veils in the Hebrew sanctuary that both kept out and they were access points and they were barriers to. And so Jesus's body becomes a mechanism through which God can both protect people from his limitless glory that would be a destructive force if they were to encounter it personally. Yet at the same time, it's an access point whereby people can come into the presence of God. So Jesus is that veil, both a barrier against humanity entering into physical interaction with God that would be very bad for humanity, but yet at the same time, an access point through which humanity can find entrance into the life-giving presence of the Father God of love, which is just just an unbelievable thought, really. So we don't have to feel as if we need to justify ourselves before God. We can trust to the fact that we've been justified in the person of Jesus Christ and and through the tearing or the rending of the veil, which is his flesh, we now have access. We have access to God and we can trust that we have access because of what Jesus has done, that it was enough and that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and that God accomplished in Jesus what he set out to accomplish and that was to restore the human race from the fall. And this is what what, what Jesus has, has, has accomplished, the new and living way through the veil. Jesus was the antitypical veil through which we can gain access to God. But yet at the same time, it's so brilliant because he, since he's a human being and he's in human form, human beings could dwell with God and not be you know, consumed by the presence of God because of sin. So yeah, guys, this is just some really great thoughts that the lesson brings out this week in my estimation. And I just love the progression. It's very logical and thoughtful progression that this lesson brings out. Jesus is there for us. God uh, invites us to be unafraid and to be unlike the Israelites because Jesus is there for us. Now, there was a need for a veil in the Old Testament times, and there is a need for a veil in the sense of Jesus. But Jesus becomes that veil through which we can now get into the presence of God because he's there for us. And uh, it's just absolutely beautiful. So listen, I hope that you could, to some extent, to some degree, be blessed by the thoughts of the lesson brought out and my cogitating, my considering uh, those, some of the, some of the lessons, but I'd like to just leave you with what was said, a summary statement of what was said in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, that we can be confident and we don't have to hesitate or falter when it comes to to, to coming into God's presence and making our requests known before God and seeking God's presence in our life because Jesus has done what needed to be done to bring peace, to make peace between us and God and to ensure that although we are sinful and unworthy, we, we have been made worthy and therefore can be in God's presence accessing the blessings of God and getting direction and inspiration and life and wisdom that we need and salvation power from God himself. So I hope that makes sense and that you're encouraged in your own walk and life to be less concerned about your status and more concerned about Jesus's status. Uh, He has uh, done for you what you couldn't do for yourself and you can be in the presence of God now, not because of what you've done or what you haven't done but because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so you can be like Moses, not worried about justifying yourself. You can be different to the Israelites who were utterly 
distraught in God's presence because they were trying to justify themselves and there was no, ju- they could, no justification could be found. There was nothing in themselves that warranted or that merited being in God's presence. And to the contrary, being in God's presence was a frightful and terrible thing for them because they were standing in their own righteousness. And so may it be all of our uh, desire and commitment to stand in the righteousness of Christ and nothing else so that we can be bold and confident in God's presence, not presumptuous, but, but bold and confident in God, who he is and what he's done for us all. Hope that this has been a blessing to you guys. It's, it's always good to do the commentary. And yeah, we look forward to uh, meeting with you guys next week. God bless. Have a great Sabbath and see you soon.